are the long and winding road. What we've been doing in this series is looking at pictures of Jesus and stories and statements and prophecies about Jesus that are found in the Old Testament. Now, what I thought we'd do today is do the Christmas edition. So the Christmas edition, see, y'all get my secrets here. That's the slide we're on. That's the slide that's coming. So y'all got some idea, okay? All right, so the Christmas edition is one where we're going to look at Jesus in the Old Testament with what it has to say about his birth. And so we've narrowed in our, our, our focus, not simply on the life of Christ or the ministry of Christ or the purpose of Christ or the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but we're narrowing that focus this morning in on the actual uh, birth and incarnation of Jesus. So I thought it appropriate to start out with a quote from Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther a scholar from 500 years ago who's credited with much of the Reformation movement within within evangelical circles, Reformation circles. There was another Reformation movement as the Catholic Church internally reformed itself uh, in, in many of the same ways. But Martin Luther was concerned because so many Christians didn't read the Old Testament. So many Christians thought the Old Testament's not really relevant. All we need to know is what the New Testament says. After all, we're looking for Jesus, and he's in the New Testament. And Martin Luther said, no, 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 do not write the Old Testament off like that. Understand that in the Old Testament, we see Jesus in his manger, in his swaddling clothes. The Old Testament is is a chance, he's, he wrote, simple and lowly are these swaddling clothes, but clear is the, dear is the treasure, Christ, who lies in them. And his illustration, Luther's illustration was, in the Old Testament, it's like we're seeing Jesus as a baby. He hasn't come fully. And he wasn't referencing the nativity, the actual incarnation of Jesus. He's just speaking in a figurative way of how the Old Testament bears witness to Jesus. So I thought it would be wonderful to look at those Old Testament passages. But the question became, what approach to use? Because there are scholars who write on this. And some scholars, they write and they say, okay, we're going to look at the New Testament. We're going to see where the gospel writers referenced or where Paul and others referenced the Old Testament as speaking about Jesus. And so we'll read the New Testament backwards to get to the Old Testament. Make sense? There's a whole other approach scholars use. Some scholars within the, the history of the church have said, no, 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 we're just going to start with the Old Testament and we're smart people and we have the Holy Spirit within us. And we're going to read the Old Testament and find passages that we believe speak about Jesus. And we'll write accordingly. So it's not reading backwards from the Old Test- New Testament into the Old Testament. It's reading forward from the Old Testament into what we know now. Now, i got to be honest with you. There is... That, that can be a legitimate approach and you can find some beautiful things in scripture. But you gotta be real careful. Cause you can also get kind of goofball-y in what you're doing. And you'd never want to be too dogmatic about what you found if you're claiming something is speaking of Jesus. 
when the New Testament doesn't confirm it under apostolic teaching and authority. So just do it carefully. So I thought, well, there are those two different approaches. There's a third approach. There's a third approach where Jesus, Christ is, is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And the, the idea that Jesus was Messiah did, did not happen in a vacuum. It happened at a time of Judah's history and Jewish history where the people were anticipating a Messiah. They wrote a lot about Messiahs. They had debates. Is there going to be one Messiah or three Messiahs? Who might the Messiah be? What might the Messiah be? What's his purpose? And the whole community of the Essenes that grew up in Qumran, and we read about things from their Dead Sea Scrolls, they they had concepts and ideas of, of the Messiah and wrote a lot about it. So another way to study this is to say, what were people at the time of Jesus thinking about the Messiah? And let us use that to inform our reading of those New Testament texts. So you've got three different approaches. You can start with the New Testament, read backwards. You can start with the Old Testament, read forward. Or you can just start in the culture, the milieu, the, 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 the thought of the day and read outward. You with me? So I'm sitting there scratching my head. Which approach shall we use today? And I threw all three of them out. We're using Christmas carols. It just seemed appropriate. So here's the Old Testament on the incarnation through Christmas carols. And some of them we'll see are pretty good Christmas carols. And they nailed that Old Testament pretty well. Some of them you're going to sit there and go, where did that come from? Because it doesn't seem to fit so well. And some of them you're just going to say, eh, pfft. okay, let's fasten our seatbelts. This, by the way, is our choir this morning. Will y'all welcome our choir? Clark. Now, you're going to have to cut Clark some slack when he sings. Um, he's a little tone deaf. Uh, no, Clark, Clark is an opera singer with an extraordinary voice. And when I asked him, I said, okay, call me out someone who will come. He called out Bill. Bill and his wife, if we wanted the soprano, she's where she, she always sits right there. She, a, amazing marital couple. I asked them one time about their voices and is that what drew them together? And they said, no, they started dating and were interested in each other. And then by happenstance found out both of them sing like God intended. <laughs> and then our own Brent Johnson who 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 has a penchant for song, and I cannot pass up a chance to have him up here as well. So we've got, that's uh, uh, not to say that he has anything less than a stellar voice, but, um, you know, he's, he ain't Clark. Okay, so <laughs> let's get moving, okay? Let's start out with what is a Christmas carol? I've looked and looked and looked to find out what is a Oh, now those of you who are too young to recognize Carol Burnett, shame on you. Funniest woman ever on TV. But that's not the Christmas Carol I was thinking about. So what is a Christmas? I kind of threw that in there for Dale Hearn. He likes that stuff. 
sort of. So what is a Christmas carol? If you look it up in the Oxford Dictionary, it says that a carol is a ring dance. That it's a song that's originally something to which people would dance. I thought, well, that may be what they're saying today and all, but I want to go back further. So I went and found a 1920s book, the Oxford Book of Carols. And in the 1920s, the Oxford Book of Carols, it actually gives a lot of Christmas carols and other carols, and it tells you their history of the song, but it defines a carol. It says, carols are songs with a religious impulse that are simple, hilarious, popular, and modern. They vary a good deal. Some are narrative, some are dramatic, some are personal, some are all of the above, some are none of the above. But they're basically songs of fun and joy, and that's why they evoke dancing. Now, by the way, I must tell you, in terms of fun, some people don't think that that's a useful word to use. I like it. I stick with it. Because I do believe that what we're about can be fun. But you have to know what the word means. Fun comes from a Middle English word. Fun. And back in Middle English, it meant foolish. It's not on the screen? Oh, I was having a good time seeing it. Back in Middle English, this is the Middle English. Thank you all. Back in Middle English, the word meant foolish. And that's not what we're about here. But, oh, by the way, if you look for the word fun in the King James Bible, you won't find it. Do you know why? King James Bible, 1611. That's where fun meant foolish still. But by the time you get to 1710, by the 1700s, it's come to mean something different. I mean, just in my lifetime, the word gay has totally changed in meaning. And those things have. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, gay meant in a happy mood. Today, gay is a word for sexual preference. And so you see changes in the way words are used. Um, uh, uh, seven up can mean a drink or it can be a score. Seven to seven. And, and, and you just see these things change over time. Well, by the 1700s, fun has come to mean amusing or enjoyable. And in that sense, you, amusing, by the way. Do you know why? That's We have this word fun, and if it's an adjective that we want to describe something, we take the word fun, and what do we make it? funny. It's amusing. It's enjoyable. It's a joke. It's pleasurable. So this concept of fun, I think, is a very biblical concept. In fact, there's a, a, a Greek word that's used for the Hebrew word that talks about how we have hilarity in the Lord. We have, it's translated generally joy, but it's the idea of fun. So I think it's appropriate for us to enjoy this with a degree of reverence. This is not foolish enjoyment. This is enjoyment with reverence. But as we look at these carols, let's go back to the PowerPoint, please. As we look at these carols, I think you can look for joy and maybe just a little bit of at least internal dancing. Because that's what a carol is. 
So let's look at a couple of carols and let's go through this. We're going to start with O Little Town of Bethlehem. Now, what I'd like to do is give you the scriptural basis for these. But even beyond the scriptural basis, we're going to talk about the songs for a little bit. And then our men's choir is going to do some singing for us. Okay? First, we'll uh, do the scriptural basis. This song comes from Micah. Uh-oh. Oh, we're getting water? No? We're getting... Oh, you need a... You, yeah, 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 yeah. Here, you got this one. Okay? This song, uh, uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem, is, except I was going to put it up here. I, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, y'all, y'all will figure it out. Okay. Y'all are flexible. Look, these guys, I gave them zero warning. None. Zip, zada. And if y'all mess up, Max is ready to sub in. Do we have to dance? No, no dancing. We're shutting that down. Um, Lorraine is not here. She just had shoulder surgery. She's recovering. If Lorraine was here, she'd get up and dance for y'all. Um, she, she got it. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, for me, one who's to be ruler in Israel. Now, you may be wondering, Bethlehem Ephratah, why adding Ephratah? There were multiple Bethlehems. See, Bethlehem was a fairly common word. It's the makeup of two Hebrew words, Beit, which means house, and lechem, which means bread. So Beit Lechem would be a little community where they had a bread oven and made bread. They might have named it that. Isn't it incredible that from the house of bread, Bethlehem, comes the bread of life? One of those nice little turns of scripture and history. So... From you, Bethlehem Ephratah. That's the specific Bethlehem that we read about in the book of Ruth. The great-grandmother of David, King David. Ruth is from, settles in that area of Bethlehem Ephratah. So that's the Bethlehem that's also called the city of David. You, Bethlehem Ephratah, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, little because it was a small, 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 small little village. From you shall come forth one from me who's to be the ruler in Israel. This is, the ruler of Israel is an anointed king. This is a Messiah, an anointed one. Messiah means anointed. Ruler in Israel, who's coming forth is from of old. Jesus is coming, but we've been talking about this, Micah the prophet says, for a long time, from ancient of days. This is the promised one. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock. He's going to be a shepherd. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they'll dwell secure because he'll be great not just in Israel, but to the ends of the earth. This is the Messiah that's coming. He shall be their peace. So within the framework of that, we've got that passage, and we know that the Bethlehem is the same one that's in Ruth. It's the same one. And we get to Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. And Luke explains this in, in a passage that we all probably have heard. He says... Luke 2, 4 through 7. 
Joseph went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called the house of bread. Bet Beit Lechem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. And while there, Mary gives birth. And so Jesus is born in Bethlehem as per. So now we get to this marvelous, marvelous song. O little town of Bethlehem. Let's put it up here. This song was written in 1868. Actually, it's right here as well. 1868 by Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks was a pastor of an Episcopal church in Philadelphia. And he was writing a Christmas carol for Sunday school. That's what they used to call life groups. I can't get it out of my system. I still do. This is our Sunday school class. So this pastor is writing the Christmas carol. Well, they've got a worship pastor who does the music, right? So he tells them, he says, look, I got these lyrics. A little town of Bethlehem. I want you to write some music for it. Things are not vastly different 150 years ago. So the worship pastor says, okay. And then about midway through the week, the preacher says, hey, I want to hear it. How's the song coming along? Worship pastor says, you know, I hadn't had time to get to it yet. I've been working too hard on my Sunday school lesson. I got to teach. But I'll get it done. Saturday night. It's not done yet. The worship pastor goes to sleep. He wakes up in the middle of the night with the melody in his head. And he gets up in the middle of the night and he writes it down. And so, O Little Town of Bethlehem is a melody that came to him in his sleep. It becomes a Christmas carol that gets published. Everybody likes it, etc. And then those people over in England do a left turn on us. They've got a different melody that they think fits it better. And unfortunately, I gave these guys the wrong melody. I gave them the melody by Ralph Vaughan Williams, who used an English folk melody in 1906. But the melody we know in the U.S., and I might add to our friends in England or continental Europe who may be watching this, we're right. The song was written here. Ours was by a guy named Lewis Redner, who was the worship leader. And that's the melody we know. O little town of Bethlehem, would you give us a verse, please, men? O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Thank you, guys. Woo! All right, get ready for your next one. Next, let's go to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. 
O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive or rescue captive, depending on your version, Israel. This is a fantastic song that comes from Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel in the Hebrew. It's a composite of two words. Emmanu means with us. The new ending is us. El means God. Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what he's going to be called. That's his name. Doesn't mean his name like a label. Uh, you know, Jesus, his birth certificate, they didn't have those things. Name means your character. means who you are. It's what you stand for. It's your, your history. It's your CV. It's your reputation. And Jesus was one whose credit, a calling card, his, 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 what we credit him with is being God with us. And we see that and we call him that and that's who he is. And so, O come, O come, Emmanuel, O come, O come, God with us, is the, the plea of this song. Now, the song itself has got a fantastic history. It's, it's originally was written in Latin. And the version that we sing is a Latin song. We've got the Latin dating back to the 1100s. That's over almost a thousand years ago. And we don't know that's when it was written. We can just trace it that far back. We use a translation that was done in the 1860s. O come, O come, Emmanuel. The tune goes back to the 1400s in France. So this is one that's got a medieval feel to it. It's one that we've got great familiarity with. The idea, the passage itself from Isaiah 7, the Lord will conceive, the, give you a sign, the virgin. The Hebrew word that's translated virgin means Alma. And what it, what it's meant to convey is a young girl who's just come into childbearing age. And, and it generally means a virgin, but it doesn't always mean a virgin. There are a few rare exceptions where it's used of someone who is not a virgin. And so a lot of people who are skeptics and cynics about the Christian faith will say, ah, if you read the Hebrew, it doesn't really say virgin. That was just the early church changing the Hebrew to fit what they thought was a narrative of Jesus. I don't buy that. I mean, I do buy, I, I, I don't have, I mean, it's true. The Hebrew word doesn't have to mean virgin. It's not like Greek, which has parthenos, a word that means virgin. But if you read the Hebrew, it makes sense to some degree that there's something unique and special about the birth. The Lord will give you a sign. Now, you've, again, got to be careful. Old Testament prophecies are like a rock that's thrown into the water. Let's see if I can find a... I've got to remember to bring some more paper. Um, if you throw a rock in a pond, this is the rock. 
bam, it goes into the pond. Thank you. What happens after it hits the pond? You got a ripple. And then what happens from there? Another ripple. Another ripple. And the ripples spread out, right? Okay, that's the way prophecy in the Old Testament worked and in the New Testament. There are different layers of fulfillments of prophecies. And so some prophecies have an immediate layer of fulfillment, but some of them also have a second and even a third layer of fulfillment that'll come later. And this is God in his efficiency, God in his wisdom, and this is the way it works. And it's a tremendous, tremendous thing to see. So here you've got, if we go back to the PowerPoint, we've got the Lord will give you a sign, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, this word virgin is not one that we are the first people to translate as virgin. About 200 years before Jesus was born, before Jesus was born, that's critical, before, right? Say it, before Jesus was born, there were a number of Jewish scholars in Alexandria, Egypt, who had been commissioned by the largest library in the world in that day to translate the Old Testament scrolls into Greek because so many people read Greek. So these Jewish scholars, 200 years before Jesus, got to this Hebrew word Alma and chose to translate it with the Greek word Parthenos, which means virgin. No debate. No doubt. So the Jewish scholars before Jesus understood this to mean virgin. And any rewriting of the idea of the word happened by people who want to try and remove it from the experience of Jesus, not help. All right, great song then. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. The Messiah is being sent to redeem from slavery of sin Israel and the rest of the world. That's the appearance and that's what we rejoice for. So guys, give us the first verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. A melody from the 1400s. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here, until the Son of Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Wow, fantastic. Thank you, guys. Okay.
Let's go back to the PowerPoint. Let's move on. We're there. We three kings of Orientar, bearing gifts we traverse afar. That's from Matthew 2. So we go to the Elmo for a moment. Look at Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. Huh. Wise men said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Hey, but look what happens. They, they go and, and they, they get told. And then Herod wants to find out about it. So Herod gets the chief priests and the scribes, the smarts. And he says to them, you know, scribes were the ones who were in charge of writing the scriptures. And copying them. They would know their Bibles. Chief priests should know their Bibles. And he says, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They said, in Bethlehem of Judea. It's written, and for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, that's in the land of Judah, are no means least among the rulers, from you, rulers of Judah. From you shall come forth a ruler. And he quotes that Micah passage that we already looked at. The priests knew, the scribes knew, they knew where the Messiah was going to be born. But it was the wise men who went to see the Messiah and the others just went home. That is still to me one of the saddest parts of Scripture that wakens me up. It's a point for home. I mean, I'll drive 15 minutes to see a cool nativity scene. These people had the real nativity scene. They knew where it was and they didn't bother to go see it and worship the Lord. What a wasted opportunity. Anyway, so here you got it. Where are we three kings from Orient? Well, Orient, that's the East. But these are wise men, magi. We get the word magic from it, by the way. These are wise men. Doesn't say they're kings. And it doesn't say there are three of them. I mean, we might be singing it wrong. It might have been we seven non-kings from Orient are. So where does this song come from? Well, actually, in church history, they would tell you it comes from the Old Testament. But this is not from the New Testament reading backwards. This is from people who are reading the Old Testament forward and saying that this is talking about Jesus. And it's a prophecy about his birth. And so if we want to find that, we'll find it here. Let's uh, put the Elmo up. We'll come back to the Elmo in just a minute. Head up there. Um, oh, that's there. There we are. These are our passages, Isaiah 60 and Genesis 26. So now we'll go to the Elmo and let's look at them. Isaiah 60 is a fascinating passage. Isaiah 60, verse 6. A multitude of camels will cover you. These young camels, those from Sheba shall come. Sheba, east. They will bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. So in the early church, some people saw this and thought that's got to be prophetic about the wise men. 
And if you read earlier in this prophetic word on verse 3, it says, starting with verse 1, Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. The star, the church saw as the, the, the light that's arisen and shined. Now darkness covers the earth and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so kings coming to the brightness of the rising star over Bethlehem is what the early church used to believe that these were kings. So we three kings, we get the kings from that. Now, where do we get three from? Genesis 26. So, there was in Alexandria a school of theology in the 2-300 range. That was really prominent, Alexandria, Egypt. That's the place that had the largest library in the world. And the school of theology was very popular for a theologian named Origen. O-R-E-G-E-N. And he was the head of the school of theology. And one of the things that that school taught is that you can read the Old Testament literally, like events that happened, and that's fine. They, they are our events that happened. But if you really have insight, you'll see that God layered into the Old Testament allegorical stories about Jesus. And so these guys are steeped in reading from the Old Testament into their theology and understanding about Jesus. And some of it is pretty good stuff. Some of it to me looks kind of walkie-jawed. Um, that's a Lubbock term. Uh, I'm sure you've got it or something close to it. This one looks a little walkie-jawed to me. But correctly, I believe, Origen recognized that Isaac is often... Um, an Old Testament picture image of Jesus. You know, Abraham was told to sacrifice him on the same uh, uh, mountain where Jesus is sacrificed. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, the son of Abraham sacrificed. God will provide the real sacrifice. They stopped that. But he's, he, he's seen properly so as an image of Jesus in the Old Testament. But that doesn't mean you can take all of the details and mesh them out necessarily, which Origen tries to do. Specifically here in Genesis 26, Origen's got this. Abimelech went to Isaac with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Philco, the commander of his army. And Isaac said, why have you come to me since you hate me? And they said, because we want peace with you. Three. So Origen said, these are the three wise men that came to see Jesus. And that's what this is an allegorical promise about. So now we've got kings from Isaiah. We've got three from Origen and Alexandria, Egypt, out of this Genesis story. And so we get to this song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Now, this was also written in the mid-1800s. That was a 1850-1860, a real popular time. This was written, I believe, in Philadelphia as well, if I'm not mistaken. But here it is. It's got five verses. Let me put it up on the Elmo for you. We three kings. It's got five verses. Let me tell you why. The first verse 
is to be sung by everyone. The fifth verse is to be sung by everyone. And then you have three verses to be sung by three different men, each one a king. And so you've got king number one, king number two, and king number three. Now I wonder where we could find three men... Who would each be willing to sing a solo without me asking them ahead of time and then thinking they're singing as part of a men's group? Here's my suggestion. This song is written and it's got the lyrics to the two verses, I mean to each of the verses, and then it's got a chorus. Star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. So I think what we ought to do is do this the way it was written to be done. So we will all sing verse 1, but we're going to wait. If we do it through the chorus, it'll take the rest of the class. We won't have time to get to other stuff. So we're going to all sing verse 1, just the first two lines. And then Clark's going to hit those first two lines of verse 2, Bill verse 3, Brent verse 4, and then we'll all together do the fifth verse and the chorus, okay? Okay, so this starts with a, a B. Uh, 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 who's, who's got, is that a B? Alright, you get us started. Everybody sing. Come on, we got the lyrics here. Three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Pona came to Bethlehem plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never over us all to reign. Frankincense to offer have I, incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising, all men raising, worship him God on high. (laughs) Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume. Breathe a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone cold tomb. Everybody, glorious now, behold him arise, King and God and sacrifice. Alleluia, alleluia, earth to heaven replies. Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, Westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Woo!
Thanks, guys. All right. Yep, yep, yep. So do you see how the, the song is broken out to be the three kings? Everybody sings the first verse. The second verse, you've got uh, uh, gold. Second fella brings frankincense. Third fella brings mirror. And those are your three verses. By the way, some people say that's another way you know there are three kings is they each only bring one gift. I'm thinking, you hadn't been to Christmas at our house. <laughs> that's not necessarily the, 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 the key. But anyway, it fits well. Three men, three gifts, three kings, perhaps, all the rest. All right, if we go back, we've got to talk about one of my favorites. Good King Wenceslas. Good King Wenceslas looked down on the Feast of Stephen when the snow lay round about crisp and clean and even or something like that. I don't, I don't know exactly. But I can tell you this. Wenceslas was proclaimed king afterwards. He was like a Duke of Bavaria in the 900s. And so uh, stories of his... If you go to Prague, Czechoslovakia, you can go to Wenceslas Square and see a statue of Good King Wenceslas on a horse. So this song gets written and, and, and it's really about a king, duke, whatever, who on Boxing Day, that's December 26th, also known as the Feast of Stephen, who was a Christian martyr in Acts 6 and 7. On Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, Wenceslas goes out in the snow, and it's deep, and it's dark at night, and he goes to feed some homeless people. Really a cool thing to do. His page is accompanying him, and his page is having to step in the same footprints because the snow's so deep, and the page is not so confident. And that's the song. Now, the thing is, a song about good King Wenceslas has got to have a melody. And so the fellow who wrote it grabbed as his melody an old medieval song that dates from the 1200s. Tempus Adest Floridum. If you look up here, you'll see the big capital T and then the rest of Impus. Adest Floridum Sergunt. Uh, the, the, when you wrote an S in the beginning or the middle of a word back then, it looks more like an F to us. You know, our S is we shortened the top and we moved up the bottom and scrunched it up. Um, surgent nomque flores. By the way, S at the end of the words, the way we write them now. If the S is at the end. So what does that mean? Tempest, uh, time, adest is near, floridum, bringing forth a flower. This was a springtime song that was talked about flowers are coming. I, I really like it. And I saw, I looked it up in the Oxford Book of Carols in 1928. They don't like it. Here's what they had to say. Oxford Book of Carols. I should have brought the real book. It says, um... This rather confused narrative owes its popularity to the delightful tune, which is that of a spring carol, Tempestatus Floridum, Latin for bloom time has come. Unfortunately, Neil, 
That's the guy who wrote this song in 1853, substituted for this spring carol, this good King Wenceslas, one of his less happy pieces. It's poor and commonplace to the last degree. This would read so much better if we had a good British accent. It's poor and commonplace to the last degree. The time has not yet come for a comprehensive book to discard it. But we reprint the tune, not without hope, that with the present wealth of carols for Christmas, good King Wenceslas may gradually pass into disuse. (laughs) And the tune be restored to springtime. Guys, can you give us one dancing chorus? Do you know this song? Okay, give us a dancing chorus of good King Wenceslas. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even Brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel When a poor man came in sight, gathering winter fuel Yeah And really, that song is popular because of the melody. I mean, come on, who's really reading it for the lyrics? Okay, so Tempest out of Florida. I tried to find some passages in the Old Testament that are at least relevant. How about love your neighbor as yourself and the martyrdom of Stephen out of Acts? But let's close with joy to the world. And this will be my Christmas wish to y'all again. We don't have any more class this year, but come January, we're going to bear down hard and finish up on our series of Jesus in the Old Testament. Joy to the world. It comes from Psalm 98. Isaac Watts wrote it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let the rivers clap their hands. Heaven and nature sing. Let the hills sing for joy together. He rules the world. He comes to judge the earth. He'll judge the world with righteousness, with truth and grace. And makes the nations prove. You see how the lyrics come from that? So here's the twist on it. Isaac Watts did not write it about Christmas. He wrote it about the second coming of Jesus. So if you look at the lyrics in that sense, let's put them up here. The second coming of Jesus, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. While fields and floods, rock hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Those are the curses that came from sin. Because he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And that's the song. The song is one written about the second coming, but it works so well for Christmas that it's become the most popular Christmas song of all time. And that makes sense because the first coming of Jesus is the 
end of days that finishes with his second coming. And those two are tied together. He says, I will come again. And the miracle of the virgin birth is simply a foretaste of the miracle of the resurrected Jesus who miraculously is reborn after his death in his resurrection and comes to bring that rebirth to all of us and to judge the world and to finish setting aright what he did on the cross. If you have the nativity scene and you don't have Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and second coming, you got nothing that's going to stir joy in your heart. Oh, let me sing for joy. Jesus came and I'm going to hell. (laughs) But he not only came... He died for my sins. He's a just and righteous God who was resurrected in power and is going to come again to take me home. So, I love you guys. I wish you a very Merry Christmas. But would you all stand? And our benediction is these men are going to lead us in joy to the world. The Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature and sing. Heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Come on, no, we can't quit there. Yeah. You do yeah, why don't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry there, bass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, let's hit a D. Someone got a D for us? Yeah, that's much closer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Go for it. He rules last, he, verse. last verse. We're doing last verse together. He, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His and wonders love. Of his and love. And wonders of His love. Thank you guys. Thank you all. Merry Christmas. Go home in God.